Today is a, uh, is, a, is a great day. I'm so glad you all are here because I get to introduce somebody uh, who has really, in the five and a half years I've been at Southside, uh, has just been a real encouragement to me. Uh, pastor Mike Reed, his wife Carolyn, are over here. Uh, pa- Mike is the pastor at San Jose Baptist Church. San Jose Baptist Church, if you drive down, actually if you drive down Hendricks and San Jose State Road 13 from Southside all the way out past Fruit Cove, if you pass any church that has Baptists in the name, Southside Baptist Church had a part of starting that church. It's a tremendous legacy. And San Jose Baptist Church has been just an incredibly uh, great partner, especially in our ministry to refugees. I remember the first time I met Mike, we we met at a restaurant uh, because we were trying to figure out, uh, between the two of us, how we could more effectively minister to these people groups that were moving into the community. And and, uh, it was, you know, how, how do, you know, we had half, some people, uh, people group were split between the churches, and so we just tried to figure out how can we coordinate our efforts to be more effective. And Mike's been a great partner and a real encourager to me. Uh, he's been at San Jose since 2006. Prior to that, he was, uh, he was the founder and the director for Tacoa Wilderness Ministries up in North Georgia, beautiful part of the country, and uh, has just had a tremendous impact in, uh, in this community and in this, uh, in this part of our city. And I'm so, so happy to be partnered with him. And, uh, and because uh, San Jose is a product of this church's efforts to just reach other, reach out beyond itself, plant churches, and reach people for the gospel. I thought it would be really important uh, to ask Mike to come this morning and to share with you. So if you would, please give Mike and his wife, Carolyn, a big, warm Southside welcome. Mike. Actually, uh, the reason why I'm here is uh, very simple. You know, you've been doing 75 uh, all the things with 75, so they thought it'd be good to have somebody 75 years old to come. <laughs> I mean, you know, I just want to, I want to put aside that I am not that old, by the way. Uh, I want to put aside the rumor that I was a charter member of this church when it was, I, I was not, um, I'm not quite th- that old, but it's good to be here. And would like to say this morning, thanks mom. Now I know what you're thinking. Oh, the old dude thinks this is mother's day. That was last week. No. <laughs> You are our mother church. Uh, when I grew up in ministry, that was the terminology that was used. That's changed nowadays. Uh, we have a tremendous emphasis on church planning as Southern Baptists, not only in the North American Mission Board, uh, not only in the International Mission Board, uh, but in our association here, there's a tremendous emphasis on church planning. And I just say, praise God, that's what needs to be. And, and you have a great legacy, as Gary uh, said a few moments ago, a great legacy of, uh, of planting churches. And you were our mother church. And um, seven years ago, we celebrated our 50th anniversary. And so I just wanted to come and say thank you for giving birth to us. And um, just uh, say we appreciate you putting us on the map and giving us an opportunity. And to also say thank you for giving us opportunities to minister together. We partner with in ESL that's uh, held here, but uh, our folks participate. That's a great thing. Hopefully down the road we will see more and more opportunities for us to be able uh, to partner together. Now, uh, I have no idea what time it is, and to keep me from having to look at my watch, and I want to make sure I don't go over time, because I, I can get into things, so uh, uh, Gary, when it gets about 
the right time. You give me a signal somehow. Okay, I'm putting the pressure on you, man. Putting the pressure on. You. Now, I just I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm you know my first time here, so I want to make sure that I don't I don't put uh, things in jeopardy. And and you know Baptist churches we we get into our uh, routines, and I don't want anybody to be uh, shocked too much. It's interesting you'd mention about sitting places. My wife said, Carolyn said on the way here, she says, I hope I don't get in somebody else's seat, you know. <laughs> it's like the, the pastor who, who went to uh, uh, and had dinner with a family, and, and uh, he noticed that as he was eating, sitting at the table eating, the dog kept looking at him and looking at him, and uh, it made him nervous. And finally, at the end of the meal, he, he turned to the host and said, listen, this dog's been sitting here looking at me all through the meal. Why in the world is he doing that? And she said, well, you're eating out of his plate. <laughs> so uh, we, get, we get a little bit torqued sometimes when somebody gets in our seat. And we do. We're, we're creatures of habit. And uh, now a good habit is to plant churches. A bad habit is to get comfortable where we are and to continue to live in that existence. As um, Gary said a few moments ago, I had the pleasure of uh, being director of Tacoa Wilderness Ministries, a, a wilderness-based adventure program and stress camp in North Georgia. And we did things like backpacking, rock climbing, rappelling, caving, uh, all those fun things. Uh, and um, one of the things we pr- uh, tried to teach kids, it's, by the way, it's amazing, it's amazing, that kids, even teenagers, the, main, the majority of our work uh, was with teenagers that even in teen years are already getting into patterns and getting into situations where we're kind of locked in. And so one of the things I want us to think about today, uh, let's celebrate the past. That's great. That's wonderful. But folks, listen, it's good to go back to the past, but don't take up residence there, okay? It's good to go back and look back. But Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark. And so one of the things I want to challenge you to do today is to keep living, looking forward. And to, and to not just celebrate the fact that God has blessed you in the past, but seize the opportunities God is going to give you in the future to, be, to plant churches, to be uh, very creative in your ministry, to reach San Marco and beyond, and uh, so that's kind of why I'm here today. Now, I want to, the, the title of my message today is Born to Reproduce. Now, we know, I, I know there's a lot of restructuring going on in our culture these days, and a lot of that restructuring says, you know, uh, there's been a, 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 a redistribution of how, what the family looks like, or they're, they're, they're trying to do that. Uh, but one thing I do know, and I know this very well, is that women were the ones that were designed to bear children. And with that, men, can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Right. They, they say that if the men had the children, every family would have one child uh, because of the pain that's involved, and that's probably true. But uh, women were uh, women and men who come together and... Um, get married and have children, they understand that they were born to reproduce. Last week's Mother's Day was 
was celebration of reproduction in many ways. And we went back and said to mom, hey, I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you for giving birth to me. And so uh, we were born to reproduce. And what I'm doing today is I'm stealing a title from Dawson Trotman. You may or may not know who Dawson Trotman is. Dawson Trotman was the father of, in many ways, of some of our modern discipleship methods. If you're familiar with discipleship nowadays, you have Multiply, uh, you have T for T, you have a lot of other things. But long before uh, those things came along, Dawson Trotman help us, helped us understand the importance of discipleship. And so one day he was out in the park and he noticed all of the young couples uh, and as they, many of them, as they walked along through the park, they were pushing a stroller with a, with a newborn or a small child in there. And he said, you know, I, at that point, got the vision for what the church should be. We were born to reproduce. We weren't born to simply sit uh, and, and remain uh, inactive or to become a monument, but we were to become a movement. And so, so God has called us to do that. And so what I want us to look at, I'm going to give you three quick points this morning. We're going to talk about the Great Commission. Everybody knows what that is. Glad to hear that we're talking about that more and more. Then we're going to talk uh, about the Great Confession. Uh, and the Great Confession is that the church in America had better shape up. We need to reestablish who we are and understand why we were born, put aside our preferences, and begin to pursue the mandate that Christ has given us. And then in, in closing, we're going to look at the Great Connection. And the Great Connection is the church at Antioch who got it. Here was a church that plowed new ground, that went into new territory, did something that had not been done before. And because of them, the modern, what we would consider the modern-day missionary movement was born. In the Let's begin with the great, com the great Commission. Everybody can quote it with me, I know, but, but let me just give you the, the overview. Jesus, in his final words, his, his, we, we call this his marching orders for the church, his mandate, says to the church, says to his disciples, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded and then he said, I, behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. Very simply, Jesus said, this is what you're to do. This is what I want you to do. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, but you will receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. In other words, Jesus was saying, you need to be global, not global, yeah, global is part of it, but global. Not only are we global in our scheme as we send missionaries and go as missionaries, but that God uh, has called us to minister locally. And some churches do one well or the other, but God has called us to be all of that. He has called us. The, the call of God is to reproduce. The call of God is to go and not only make disciples, but to also plant churches because it is through planting churches that the disciples grow as part of the body of Christ. God has given us that challenge. 
Now, the second thing I want us to see this morning is the great confession. Folks, let's be honest today. We are doing a poor job. When I say that, I'm going to have no, it's no reflection on Southside Baptist Church, San Jose Baptist Church, or any church in Jacksonville. But we have issues when it comes to living out the great commission as God called us to. Somewhere along the line, we have contracted what I like to call the cotton farmer syndrome. Now, I don't know, is there anybody here that ever lived on a cotton farm? This is a pretty young crowd, and you're probably saying, what's a cotton farm? <laughs> I know what a cotton ball is, <laughs> you know. Uh, a, a, cotton, a cotton patch, by the way, is the thing that you stop and you get all the kids out of the minivan, and you let them go out there and say, hey, boys and girls, this is cotton. You want to pick some cotton? And you pick cotton, and they put it in, in their little bag, and they go get back in the minivan and go, oh, that was fun. Well, let me tell you, I spent seven years on a cotton farm. It's not fun. Just want, you know, Roy Clark was right years ago when he wrote that celebratory country song uh, talking about all the things he'd done, but he said, I never pick cotton. He was celebrating that. And let me tell you, I understand what he was talking about. But cotton farming when I was a boy was very, very important. And there were a lot of cotton farms in the southeast. Then the government started paying people not to plant cotton, and you know the rest of the story. But anyway, uh, there, there were cotton farms throughout the southeast, and, and it was something to behold, to watch uh, in, the, in the late summer, early fall when that cotton would begin to come in, and you'd see uh, them scattered all throughout the countryside. Well, there was this group of farmers who decided one day that uh, there were great cotton farmers. Every spring you'd see them out plowing their ground and then they'd plant the cotton and they'd cultivate and they would hoe and they would do all the things you have to do to cultivate cotton. And then uh, come, come uh, late spring, I mean late uh, summer, early fall. By the way, I hate to say this. This is, I, I'm, you're going to know more about me than I really want to tell you. I grew up in cotton area in a cotton area where the first two weeks of school we only went a half a day, so we could go home and pick cotton that afternoon. That is not good. Okay, let me just tell you, it's child abuse. <laughs> what what my generation and the generation before me call work, we now call child abuse. But anyway. But these farmers were great farmers. They really knew how to farm cotton. And every year they were productive. And every year they took many bales, uh, many, much cotton to the, to the gin and, and, and had many bales produced. And they were really good. But they decided one day, hey, we can do a better job. So they decided to improve themselves. What they would start doing is every Saturday morning at 11 o'clock, they would start meeting together and learn how to be better and more productive farmers at producing cotton. And so every Saturday morning at 11 o'clock, they'd meet in the barn. They loved the barn. It's a great place to go, great place to be. And so they would meet and, and they would uh, maybe sing a few songs about cotton farming and tell a few stories. And maybe someone would read from a book on farming and, and they would have a great time. The only thing was they made sure that they were out by 12 o'clock so they could beat the corn farmers to the restaurants. But, but they, they did this with great regularity. 
And then they decided, listen, hey, you know, we're doing such a good job here and we're learning so much. This is good. I mean, they had notebooks to put up on their shelves and, uh, you know, they went to conferences like how to have the best cotton picking team in the world and things like this. And it was just, it was exciting. And then they decided, hey, we'll start meeting on Wednesday night. You know, we, so we'll come on Wednesday night. We'll come on Wednesday. And they started having, they discovered covered dishes. Yeah, they discovered potluck dinners. And so they started having them on Wednesday night, and they started getting together, and they started learning. But the problem was the more they did that, the less cotton they planted. And they became, there was nothing wrong with learning how to be a cotton farmer. There was nothing wrong with meeting in the barn, but what happened through the ages and through the process or through the through the years, they became so focused at learning and studying and growing and doing those things that something happened. They lost they lost their vision, they lost their understanding of what it's all about, and they started spending a lot of time in the barn and less time planting cotton. Well, you know the rest of the stories, Paul Harvey would say. They started producing less cotton. They were less productive. They didn't plant. They didn't, they didn't cultivate. They didn't harvest. Weeds grew up in their field. And farmers lost their farms simply because they lost their vision for what they were originally, and that was they were born to be cotton farmers. They weren't born to sit in the barn. If the church of Jesus Christ does not discover that our purpose is not mainly, there's nothing wrong with meeting in the barn as long as you don't stay there. Set up residence. There's nothing wrong with that. But see, God didn't just, just, uh, or they weren't designed to be people of the barn. They were to be people of the field. Their calling was to plant and to cultivate and to harvest. The church of Jesus Christ, at one time, our, our focus was to plant, to produce, to do what God's called us to do and not sit in the barn. But as time has gone along, more and more, we become people of the barn. We become people who study more about what it means than it is, uh, than than we have being people who actually plant. I I read recently, somebody said, if you could see the average uh, American, North American Christian today, you'd see somebody with a small body and a very big head because we spend a lot of time filling our heads and not being obedient to what God's called us to do. Now, again, my call, my challenge to you this morning is that the church of Jesus Christ needs to confess. When I say the church, again, I'm not saying Southside, but but, uh, I, I am saying the church in North America needs to understand we're losing our nation because we're not proclaiming the gospel in the streets, because we've lost our productivity. You want to know what the problem with the church of America today is? She's not pregnant. She has, she's not pregnant. She is not productive. And that's what God's called us to do. We need to confess 
To confess means to agree with God and say, God, we've put our emphasis in the wrong place. We've, we've gone the wrong direction. We've been in the barn way too long. We need to be in the streets. We need to be door to door. We need to be somewhere engaging people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to close with the Great Connection. The Great Connection is a church in Antioch. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 13. The first three verses I'm going to read, okay? Acts chapter 13, great picture. There are two churches that are so predominant in, in the book of Acts. One is the church at Jerusalem, uh, the mother church, we might say. The other one is the church at Antioch, the one who birthed the missionary movement. Now, I have friends who argue over which one is the model church, you know. And, and the answer is very simple, both, okay? Jerusalem was, a, Jerusalem was a church that started out great and God blessed it and that's where, it, that's where the church was born. But in time, uh, it took persecution to get them out the door, by the way. It took persecution to get them out of the barn and out of the city of Jerusalem to be able to fulfill the Great Commission or start working toward the Great Commission and, and, and uh, what we saw in Acts 1-8. But... But it so happened some believers went up to Antioch in Samaria. And there the gospel was preached and a church was born. And, and what I'd like to do this for just in, in closing this morning for a few moments, I want to visit that church. You know, um, it, it, there are pastors and churches throughout America and in other places that are, have been very, very productive. And so what happens is, uh, churches like Saddleback and Willow Creek and some of these others, they host conferences for pastors, and pastors go and, and listen to their staff and walk through the process and try to learn from them. And, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And so what we want to do is we want to walk in and sit down inside a worship service at Antioch. What can we learn from them? What can we learn about them that is practical and good for us today to help us understand what we need to be doing? Let's, let's, let's catch up on them there, chapter 13. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a member of the... Uh, court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. By the way, I'm having a little trouble with, the, with the seeing here. My, my apologies to you. And it says, while, listen, while they, were there, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they, ha they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, what can we learn from this? Pa what, what can we learn from this passage from this church? I think there's uh, there's considerable amount. In fact, you could preach for an hour on this, so I'm going to have to scale way back. So here here goes. What do we see in this church? First of all, we see we see a church at worship. Okay, everything everything that God leads us. To, to do comes out of our relationship to him. 
And because we have a close relationship to him and he is communicating with us, then we, have, we get directives from him as to what we should be doing. And for this church, they were worshiping when God spoke to them. And so that, that points, a couple, to a, points us to a couple of things. First of all, worship, what happened? Work flows out of worship. In other words, we haven't worshiped fully until we come at the end of that and there is a willingness to follow God's call on our lives. Isaiah points that out. I mean, we see it in Isaiah chapter 6. At the close of that dramatic and, and very vivid worship scene, Isaiah says, Lord, uh, here am I, send me. God says, you know, who will go for us? Who'll, who can we call? Who can we send? And Isaiah said, Lord, here am I, send me. And he volunteered. Worship and work go together. And so here was a church that was worshiping God. They were communicating with God. There was an open mind, an open heart. They were sensitive to the leadership of God's spirit because God's spirit spoke into that church. And when God's spirit spoke into that church, they heard his voice. They were sensitive to it. I think one of the things that plagues us today in North America is somehow we've lost touch with God because we, we cannot sit in the barn and claim to have had a vital, deep, life-changing, transformational relationship with Jesus Christ. He gets all up inside our heart and, and, and just overflows us. And then we get antsy and we, we've got to go do his work. And so, so it's important as part of our worship, we understand worship's not over until the people of God have said, I'm willing, I'm ready. Lord, here am I, send me. There's, an imp there's another important element here, and it's the element of leadership. He names the leaders there, Barnabas and Saul, and, and, and he doesn't tell us a whole lot. He doesn't tell us anything much about them, just, just a brief word or two about some of them, but he doesn't tell us a lot. But this much we do know. We know that here is a church that is led by a group of men who are attuned, and not only, not only a, the leadership, but the church is, itself is attuned to the voice of God and sensitive to his leadership. I believe God wants to raise up today not only a whole new generation, but a, 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 I don't think he wants to raise up an army of people who will leave the barn and go into the field. Jesus himself said it. He said, he said, pray that to the Lord of the harvest that he might send labors into the field. We got some young folks here today. Uh, I want you to be, I'm going to challenge you this morning to be sensitive to God's call on your life. And parents, let me tell you something. You may be grooming them to be millionaires. You may be grooming them to be popular. You may be grooming them to be this, that, or the other. But the greatest joy you'll ever have in your life is to groom them to go and give their lives to Jesus Christ somewhere, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And young folks, let me, say, let me say to you, the greatest challenge of your life is to do that. I went to college to be a football coach. My grades my freshman year proved it. And uh, <laughs> I played a lot of football. I was not too good in the classroom, to say the least. 
But during my freshman year of college, God interrupted my plans. I was going to be a football coach, but God said, no, I've got something else I want you to do. Listen, worship ends with a willingness to follow God. The church of Jesus Christ has been called by the great, by, by our master through the great, great commission. He's called us to go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we must confess today that we haven't done it the way we should. And we must confess that we need to get out of the barn. God didn't call us to be a, mo- uh, to, to be a monument. God didn't call us to, to, to have uh, uh, safety in our own preferences or, or, or that kind of happiness in our own preferences. He's called us to, to be about his business. And like the church in Antioch, we need to get it. We need to get it. We need to understand the truth. God didn't call us to anything else other than to go and make disciples and baptize them and grow them up in Jesus Christ and to plant churches. Let me just challenge you today. Celebrate the past. Yeah, man, enjoy every moment of it. But let me tell you something. If it doesn't lead you to a greater future, it's been a waste of time. Now, I'll be 71 in a couple of months, and I'm looking forward to the final days of my life. These are the most exciting days of my life. And let me say, you know, I'm going to say this to the other crowd, because apparently all my crew is in the next service. (laughs) You may want to stay. It's going to get interesting. Because I am sick and tired of my generation wimping out and whining about their preferences, our preferences, when we need to lead out for the kingdom of God and say and hand the baton off to the next group with a smile on our face and say, go get them. It needs to be done. I pray that the next 75 years should Jesus tarry for this church will make the past look like nothing. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this opportunity just to be in this place today. We want more than anything else to hear your voice. Lord, we don't want to play church. We want to be the church. We don't want to sit in the barn, Lord. We realize that there is a world out there that we can complain about in a, in a nation that that we may have a tendency to blame uh, someone else about our nation's demise. But, Father, we believe that you've called us to be salt and light and to be the body of Christ in the world. May we go from this place totally committed to the cause. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.